What do we do as the culture around us tries more and more to silence us? It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Michael Brown is the director of the Coalition of Conscience and president of Fire School of Ministry. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Well, the truth is that no one is chopping our heads off here in America for the gospel or throwing us to the lions. I don't want to exaggerate things, but there's no question that there is a rising tide of censorship, of opposition, of trying to silence us, cancel us, marginalize us, stop us from speaking out on what we believe is right and true and biblical. It is here. It is growing. It must be addressed. Welcome, friends, to The Line of Fire. This is Michael Brown. Here's the number to call to weigh in, 866-34-TRUTH, 866-348-7884, on the larger subject of the cancel culture and the censorship of Christian and conservative voices. We'll be talking about that and bringing you some encouragement. Yeah, encouragement in the midst of the storm. And we'll be realistic and honest about it. I'll also share my views on the current impeachment trial of former President Trump. We'll be talking about that just briefly, but feel free to weigh in on that. Share your views as well. But phone lines are open, 866-348-7884. I don't want to exaggerate. I don't want to present an untrue picture, but I want to be absolutely realistic and truthful. A few years ago, David Kyle Foster, himself an ex-gay leader, had all of his videos removed from the Vimeo platform, every single one of them. Why? Because he told the truth with compassion, with love, that change is possible. He told the truth about what the Bible said, told the truth about God's view on same-sex relations, and told the truth about the possibility of change through the gospel. Nothing hateful, nothing bigoted, nothing that would really violate Vimeo's general community guidelines, except for the fact that there are certain lines because of LGBT activism you can't cross. All of his videos, his entire channel, removed, removed. We've been tracking things like this for years, friends. And and I said beginning in 2004 that those who came out of the closet, meaning gay activists and their allies, fighting for what they felt was right, fighting for, in their view, what was a matter of equality and fairness, those who came out of the closet want to put us in the closet. And originally, when I began saying that now, which, which is almost 17 years ago, when I began saying that, people told me I'm crazy. Secular media told me I'm crazy. Nobody wants to put you in the closet. And then a few years later, it changed and shifted to, well, bigots like you belong in the closet. We say, well, that's a very touchy issue. Oh, okay, well, how about pro-life? How about the issue of abortion? How about telling the truth about the sanctity of life beginning in the womb? One of the great websites that does that is LifeSite News. Check out this headline from LifeSite News, and they often publish my op-ed pieces as well. Breaking news. YouTube shuts down LifeSite's channel. Every video completely gone. Hear me. This is a pro-life website, largely Catholic contributors to, uh, to to the website and the work they're doing, but others like me welcome there as well. YouTube... Shuts down LifeSite's channel, every video completely gone. Let's read what they say in this article. 
and, and let's see firsthand uh, what what they happen to present uh, as as they <clears throat> as they discuss this. Because, <clears throat> excuse me, the fact of the matter is they're being shut down because they are pro life. They're being shut down because they're telling the truth about abortion. So. February 9th, on a call today, the LifeSite staff was talking about how things are getting depressing out there and how we're going to bring you more good news. And there's no better time to start than right now. Yes, we're going to continue to tell you about the concerning things taking place in the world. We're also going to try to feature more of the heroes finding the good fight. So that was their, their focus. All right. We, we want to tell you good news. We, we want to start bringing you good news, except for the fact that our entire video channel, LifeSite News is saying it's been taken down. 300,000 subscribers, whatever the number was, and all the, all the videos, gone, gone, which means if you don't have them backed up elsewhere, they're just gone. Why? Because they are pro-life. Hey, check this out. I tweeted this out earlier today, all right? For those watching afterwards, maybe watching an America's Voice on Saturday night on Pluto or Dish Network, or those listening to the podcast after, this is Wednesday. What's today's date? The the 10th, right? Wednesday, February 10th. So I posted this on Twitter. As far as I know, it's, it's still up. It's still up. I posted this on Twitter. Um, will Twitter punish Newsweek for publishing this candid article? And, and it's an article on Newsweek, a real, real shocker and eye-opener. It's, it's by an individual who goes by the name of Scott Nugent, and it's Newsweek. We need balance when it comes to gender dysphoric kids. I would know. And when you read through this article, talking about this individual has transitioned surgically from female to male and is saying, wait, wait, caution, caution. I'm having all these surgeries and all these problems and all these issues. Said I'm a 48-year-old transgender man, so a woman who identifies as a man. I was thrilled when the medical community told me six years ago that I could change from a woman to a man. I was informed about all the wonderful things that would happen due to medical transition, but all the negatives were glossed over. Since then, I've suffered tremendously, including seven surgeries, a pulmonary embolism, an induced heart attack, sepsis, a 17th-month recurring effect infection, 16 rounds of antibiotics, three weeks of daily four antibiotics, or excuse me, IV antibiotics, arm reconstructive surgery, lung, heart, and bladder damage, insomnia, hallucinations, PTSD, $1 million in medical expenses, the loss of home, car, career, and marriage, all this, and yet I cannot sue the surgeon responsible in part because there is no structured, tested, or widely accepted baseline for transgender health care. Read that again. There is no structured, tested, or widely accepted baseline for transgender health care, not for 42-year-olds, and not for the many minors embarking on a medical transition in record numbers. It is not transphobic or discriminatory to discuss this, we as a society need to fully understand what we are encouraging our children to do to their bodies. All right, read the article for yourself on Newsweek. But if I just posted that as my viewpoint, I might have been suspended on Twitter. When, when one of the publications of Focus on the Family last week made a, a, a true statement, a true biological statement about Dr. Levine, quote, Rachel Levine, who is President Biden's nominee for Assistant Secretary to Health and Human Services and is a male who identifies as a female, they were blocked from Twitter for just telling the truth. I was suspended on Twitter simply for identifying this person as a biological male in God's sight. I actually used the name Rachel, so I didn't quote dead name them, call this person by their former name, their given 
name at birth and the name that rightly identifies their, their physical gender. No, I, I simply told the truth about how God sees this. And I was, I was blocked on Twitter for doing that. Focus on the family publication, suspended or banned from Twitter for doing this. That's why I posted what I did. In fact, I'm just going to check to see this out of curiosity uh, while I'm doing the broadcast here in real time. I, I tweeted this out earlier just to see, to see what happens. Genesis 127 states, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Well, Twitter censored this as narrow, bigoted, and prejudicial since it upholds the gender binary. In other words, male-female distinctions. So far... It's still up. It's only an hour as I'm speaking. We shall see those watching or listening afterwards if it's still up on my Twitter account. But this is the crazy situation with which we're faced, that when we just speak biological truth, we're getting banned and blocked and suspended. When when you're presenting pro-life truth, you can get banned or blocked or suspended. That there are plenty of places I cannot speak. I, I am blacklisted because of stances I've taken. Now, listen. I'm not complaining at all. As I said, no one's chopping our heads off right now. I'm not being thrown to the lions right now. Every day around the world, our brothers and sisters in other countries are suffering hardship, persecution, opposition for the gospel. I'm not complaining in the least. I'm simply saying we must recognize what's happening and now more than ever be determined to speak up and do what is right, regardless of cost or consequence. Speak up and do what is right, regardless of the potential fallout. Speak up and do what's right with wisdom, not provoking a fight. I've tested something on Twitter to see, are they going to deal with banning the Bible here? That was a test. But otherwise, I'm not trying to provoke. I'm not being hateful. I care about every human being on the planet, no matter how they identify regardless of race, ethnicity, creed, and and sexual identity or orientation. I'm going to reach out with everyone to love, with love, and proclaim the same gospel that Jesus died for each of us, just the same. And since we have a country that has given us various liberties, and since these liberties are the foundation on which America is built, and since I'm concerned about the world that my grandkids, all teenagers, well, no, our oldest is 20 now. So the world they're growing up in or the world their kids will grow up in. Therefore, I will stand and speak up and speak out and draw attention to these injustices, draw attention to these discriminatory practices, draw attention to unfair censorship, and continue to speak up and continue to speak out. Now, here's the other side to it. What society means for evil, what people mean for evil, what Satan means for evil, God can use for good. I want to post something for you. We're going to read it together. 1662 in England. And this was an act that was put forward. The Act of Uniformity, 1662. uh, After the restoration of the monarchy in 1660, so Charles II on on the throne and after the Commonwealth under Cromwell, uh, Cromwell in England, Moves were made to revise and reintroduce the prayer book. So this is now universal. All ministers must abide by this in the country. And in May 1662, Parliament passed another act of uniformity. This is the full title of it. An act for the uniformity of public prayers and administration of sacraments 
and other rites and ceremonies, and for establishing a form of making, ordaining, and consecrating bishops, priests, and deacons in the Church of England. What happened if you don't abide by that? Well, you are now a nonconformist. What happened if you do not feel that you can come under the Church of England at that time, like John Bunyan and others? You are a nonconformist. And you might just spend 12 years and more in jail, like John Bunyan. You might just be arrested and punished for it. That is what happened as about 2,000 ministers said, hey, we will not abide by this. But here's good news. What Satan meant for evil, God turned for greater good. I'm going to tell you exactly how on the other side of the break. I'm going to encourage you, then we'll go to your calls. I'll also share my views about the Trump impeachment trial. It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into the Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks, friends, for watching, tuning in, listening to the Line of Fire broadcast. Michael Brown, 866-34-TRUTH, 866-348-7884. Do you feel the Congress was right to impeach Donald Trump a second time. Do you see it just as partisan politics, a witch hunt? Do you see it as valid based on alleged incitement of the insurrection? Do you see it as just a waste of time? Do you see it as something that could potentially do good for America or is ultimately divisive and harmful? I'll weigh in with my view in a moment. 866-34-TRUTH. So there is no question that there is a rising tide of censorship. There's no question that there is a rising tide of opposition to conservative Christian ideas being put forward in the public square, be it in social media, be it in the workplace, be it in Hollywood, be it many, many other ways. There is a price to pay when you stand up. Again, it's not the price being paid by believers in other parts of the world, but it's a very real price. And, and to me, the biggest thing is we must recognize the moment and not backtrack. And, and not fall into an appeasement mentality and not fall into a save my life mentality, meaning, well, if I say this, this will happen. So I better not calculate here, calculate. No, rather, lay your life before the Lord and say, here I am, send me, use me. If I can be used in a way that draws attention to unrighteousness, if I can be used in a way that draws attention to a cause, even if there's personal difficulty, sacrifice involved, so be it, it's worth it for the larger cause. So, John Bunyan is put in prison. It's actually a couple or three different imprisonments over the years. And when, when he was told by magistrates, just agree to stop preaching. Look, you're not licensed by the Church of England. Just agree to stop preaching. Bunyan said, the moss will grow over my eyelids before I stop preaching. That's not going to happen. In the meantime, his first wife had died before his, his imprisonment. Now he's remarried. So from the first marriage, second marriage, four kids, his wife, four kids, barely surviving. He makes shoelaces in prison to try to survive. And then they have to get supplemental help from others, people of goodwill that help his family out. Hey, just take care of your family, man. Stop preaching. Re re renounce this. Submit to the Church of England and care for your family. But he knew to do that would be disobedience to God. So they effectively stop him from preaching 
to the many thousands that he was drawing with his messages because people came to listen to him speak. But, but check this out. Because he's in jail, he has more time. Because he's in jail, he doesn't have the pastoral responsibilities he would have had. Because he's in jail, he can devote more time to writing. And it's ultimately in jail that, that he writes much of the Pilgrim's Progress. Yeah, outside of the, the Bible, one of the biggest selling English books ever published from its publication in 1678 until today, continuously in print. Think of that. And continuing to speak to countless people all around the world, translated in over 200 different languages. So here there's this effort to suppress, keep them down. You will not speak. And what happens instead? He now writes things, so they, they, they cut him off from speaking to thousands. Instead, he speaks to millions. That's how I'm looking at this. We've got to find redemptive sides to this. We've got to believe that the more there are attempts to silence us, the, the more the, the propaganda of the militant left will be exposed. The more there are attempts to silence us, the more God will turn this around, just like Joseph sold into slavery by his jealous brothers in the Bible. Sold into slavery ends up in Egypt in a dungeon, ends up raised up by God from there to be Pharaoh's right-hand man, ends up saving the very people who sold them into slavery by having a plan from God to deal with famine and drought. Think of it. And he says that to his brothers late in life, you meant it for evil, but God intended it for good for the saving of many lives. There are people who really want to silence us and shut us down, but God can turn that around. Friends, this is my faith posture. Here, let me give you another example. And this, this is the kind of courage I'm talking about, not being unwise, not provoking a fight, but doing what's right, speaking the truth, regardless of cost and consequence, and watching how God will back it. We may have setbacks, we may have hardship, difficulty. We may lose much more first before we gain much more later. But the key thing is obedience and long-term fruit. So Pastor Joseph Tsan, let's look at this account about him. He was a Romanian pastor, and uh, sometimes you'll see the name as Tan, T-O-N, but correct spelling Tsan, Joseph Tsan. And uh, he, he shares what happened. And, uh, and this is recounted by Jeff Robinson on, on his uh, website. It was late summer of 1977. Romania was under communist rule when the Baptist minister put all his worldly concerns in order after the manner of a dying man. Buoyed by the courage of his wife, Elizabeth Son, prepared himself for a certain martyrdom. So he knows I'm going to die for preaching. He was to meet an officer from the secret police in the restaurant of a nondescript Romanian hotel. The communist officer had pledged to do what previous secret police officials had failed to do to silence, which was to silence San's ministry by offering him a secular job in exchange for a promise that he never again preached the gospel. Turning down the job spelled at least hard time in a prison camp. It might very well mean execution. San met with the man and without flinching, turned down the job. I told the man, now I'm ready to die. You said you were going to finish me as a preacher. I asked my God if he wants me to continue to be a preacher. Now I have to make one of you two angry, and I decided it's to better, better to make you angry than God. But I know you, sir, you cannot stand this kind of opposition. You'll kill me in one way or another. But I accepted that, and you know that I have even put everything in order and made ready to die. But as long as I'm free, I'll preach the gospel. The communist officer was equally unflinching is his response. He told Son to go and preach the gospel. He, meaning the officer, made up his mind that if I was ready to die for it, then I should have it. And for another four years until they exiled me, I continued to preach with nobody disturbing me because that man, a key man of the secret police, decided I should be free to preach because I was ready to die for it. So, so, so look at this. 
just going to scroll down in the article a little further. He, he is arrested, okay? And, and, and he's being threatened with death. He's imprisoned. So listen to what he says. When the secret police officer threatened to kill me, to shoot me, I smiled and said, Sir, don't you understand that when you kill me, you send me to glory? You cannot threaten me with glory. The more suffering, the more troubles, the greater glory. So why say stop this trouble? Because the more suffering, the greater glory up there. During one particularly harrowing session of interrogation, Tsan told his inquisitors that spilling his blood would only serve to water the growth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Part of the theology of suffering he learned was that tribulation is never an accident, but is part of God's sovereign plan for building his church. I wonder, friends, if some of what we're going through now in society in America is God's way of strengthening us and getting us to, to have courage and become disciplined. So Tsan told the interrogator, check this out, you're, you're at people's mercy. They could torture you. They could just throw you in a pit and leave you there to die. They could, they could kill you. They could kill your family. He said, I told the interrogator, you should know your supreme weapon is killing. My supreme weapon is dying. Now, here is how it works, sir. You know that my sermons are on tape all over the country. When you shoot me or crush me, whichever way you choose, you only sprinkle my sermons with my blood. Everybody who has a tape of one of my sermons will pick it up and say, I had better listen again. This man died for what he preached. Sir, my sermons will speak 10 times louder after you kill me and because you killed me. In fact, I will conquer this country for God because you killed me. Go on and do it. And then he said, dying for the Lord is not an accident. Speaking later, it's not a tragedy. It's part of the job. It's part of the ministry. And it's the greatest way of preaching. Okay, we'll stop there. What a story. What an illustration. You would look at this, I would look at this as we're at the mercy of our interrogators. These people could make life for us unbearably horrific. They have the power to do anything they want, and they're unaccountable in their actions. And what you need more than anything at that moment is their favor. Well, no, not if you have a God perspective, a divine perspective, a Jesus perspective. What you need is the smile of God. What you need is the smile of heaven. God's saying, I'm with you. You're doing the right thing. As Joseph Tsan said, hey, I'm going to make you angry or God angry. I'd rather make you angry. Friends, I'd rather have the whole world against me and God for me than the whole world for me and God against me. So Joseph Tsan tells them, listen, your, your, your weapon is killing. My weapon is dying. You crush me. You kill me. Everybody knows my messages. They're all over Romania. Now everyone's going to go listen more. He was willing to die for that. Joseph Tsan is dead. Let's listen to his messages. It'll shake the country. No, we're not at that point here in America, but it's the attitude it's the mindset that I want to convey. Look at what Paul wrote to the Philippians. Philippians chapter 1. He's in jail for the gospel. Look at what he writes. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually resulted in the advancement of the good news. And so my imprisonment in the cause of Messiah has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard, Caesar's Guard, and to everyone else. Because of my imprisonment, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord to dare more than ever to speak the message fearlessly. Wow. And look at what he writes at the end of Philippians. Philippians, the fourth chapter, 
in his closing greetings, look at what Paul writes there. Greet all the Kedoshim, the saints, the holy ones, in Messiah Yeshua. The brethren who are with me greet you, all the Kedoshim, the holy ones, the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. Especially those of Caesar's household. You hear what he's saying? I I led some of the palace guards to the Lord. They They are now among your brothers and sisters. They want to send you greetings. Rome put me in jail to stop me. Instead, I found a new platform to reach more people I never would have reached. And others are now emboldened to preach. Oh, and you know what else? From prison. One of his several imprisonments, but from prison, Paul wrote Philippians and Ephesians and Colossians and Philemon. Some of the most amazing, most read letters ever written by a human being, written by Paul in prison. God's a redeemer, friend. God will turn this around. God of light, hear our cry. It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Well, there's no doubt about it. Society has turned in many ways against our conservative biblical values. There's no doubt about it. The cultural elites are, are very much hostile to the gospel and hostile to biblical conservative values. No doubt about it. But what's our attitude going to be? Woe is me and it's so hard. Or, all right, great. We're up for the task. We're overcomers. Nothing's, nothing can stop or bind or imprison the word of God. So we go forward. We go forward with wisdom, with strength, with courage. Rather than going to retreat and, and the sky is falling mentality, we go forward in Jesus' name. Michael Brown, welcome to the line of fire, 866-34-TRUTH. Going to go to the phones shortly and going to weigh in with my own thoughts about the Trump impeachment hearing in a moment. But look at what Paul writes to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2. He says, remember Jesus the Messiah, raised from the dead, from the seed of David, according to my good news. For this, he says, I suffer hardship as a criminal, even to the point of chains, but the word of God is not chained. Did you get that? You can put me in prison, you can bind me with chains, but you can't imprison the word of God and you can't change the word of God. Look also what Paul writes in Romans chapter 5. Romans, the fifth chapter, as he's talking about our hope in the Lord. And and he has some very strong words here. Therefore, having been made righteous by trusting or righteous by faith, we have shalom, peace with God, through our Lord Jesus, the Messiah. Through him, we also have gained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and boast in the hope of God's glory. So we are rejoicing in being made right with God, having our sins forgiven. We're at peace with God. And not only that, but we also boast in suffering. In in Greek, it's tribulation. Knowing that suffering, tribulation, produces what? Perseverance. You know the saying, if it doesn't kill you, it'll make you stronger. Well, in this case, it's true. We also boast in suffering, meaning suffering for the gospel, meaning hardship for the gospel, meaning opposition for the gospel. We boast in that. Why? Knowing that this kind of suffering produces perseverance. It's the no pain, no gain philosophy, but in the spiritual realm. And perseverance produces what? Character. Character produces hope. 
And hope does not disappoint because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, the Ruach HaKodesh, who was given to us. Friends, we are going through challenging times, but these challenging times can make us stronger. We can become more disciplined. We can become more purposeful. We can see our faith through different terms, not just in, oh, what's God going to bless me with today? Or what's the amazing thing that's going to happen to me because I'm a follower of Jesus and it's just going to be like heaven on earth. Sometimes being a follower of Jesus marks you and makes it very difficult for you in this world. One brother, an Indian brother, said years ago, he said, you know, when we, we preach the gospel in America, we tell people, you know, having problems in your marriage, come to Jesus, he'll, he'll fix your marriage. Having problems with your family, come to Jesus, he'll bless your family. Having problems on your job, come to Jesus, and he'll bless your job. He said, you know, in India, we have to tell people, if you're having problems in your marriage, you come to Jesus, your spouse may disown you. If you're having problems in your family, you come to Jesus, your family may reject you. If you're having problems on your job, you come to Jesus, you may get fired because you're a follower of Jesus. (laughs) In other words, the American mentality is, what's in it for me? How can I add Jesus into my life and have more and have a bigger and better American life? Whereas the reality around the world and through church history has often been follow Jesus and lose a lot. Follow Jesus and be hated, reject it. We need to have the mentality of disciples, of people who are in this, not, not for the short haul, not in the short term, not just looking for what's best for me, but rather, Lord, how can I please you? How can I make a difference? If my story of obedience, of speaking out the truth on some social media platform gets me blasted, costs me a job, as a result of which a case in 10 years gets to the Supreme Court and results in liberties for all Americans, hey, that's worth it. That's worth it. That's how we need to be thinking. Not provoking a fight, not being obnoxious, not being rude, mean-spirited. A lot of us think we're being persecuted for Jesus. We're being persecuted for being jerks, for being idiots, for being fools, for being self-righteous, for being hypocrites. That, that brings no glory to God, and it's no badge of honor for us. That's shameful. But when we're hated because of the gospel, when we're rejected because of biblical values, when we're loving and kind and gracious and yet hated and maligned, when, when all of that happens for doing good, then we rejoice We're stronger for it. And ultimately, short-term or long, it will lead to the good. All right. One last thing, political, then we go to your calls. My view on the second and Trump impeachment is this. Feel free to weigh in and differ with me or agree with me. Number one, it has no more validity than the first impeachment. I didn't think the first impeachment had validity. It was just the, the moment that those who wanted to impeach Trump since before he was even inaugurated, the moment that they had with the alleged collusion in Ukraine and all of that, the phone call. So people were talking about impeachment before Trump was even in office, officially inaugurated. So I saw no validity to that and was quite confident that it would result in his acquittal. I see no validity in this impeachment either. See it as, as mainly further vindictiveness from those who've hated Trump and want to get rid of him and further political spectacle, and this will most certainly end with his acquittal as well. I do not believe that he can be charged with directly inciting the, the riot, the insurrection, the storming of the Capitol on January 6th. 
I do not believe he can be charged with that, which is what the impeachment is about. And I do believe that day, although it was utterly foolish for him to say we'll, we'll go down from this rally and, and march peacefully to the Capitol, it was utterly foolish for him to do it and utterly responsible for him to do it, that, that in no way did he want to stir up a violent attack on the Capitol. At the same time, in a non-impeachable way, I absolutely hold him responsible for the larger atmosphere that he helped create, for years of irresponsible rhetoric, for years of stirring up such hostility and anger and animosity, and now in this frenzied way that the election was stolen and our freedoms are going to be stolen, it's the end of America. What else were some people going to do but storm the Capitol thinking this is it? So, number one, I do not see the impeachment as valid. I do not see the charges as valid. I do not believe that under the law that you can impeach Trump and say that he literally incited that insurrection. I don't believe that's what he wanted or intended. I believe he was as shocked by it as others were and that his remarks that day were not intended to spur violence. At the same time, on a larger level, in a non-impeachable way, I absolutely hold him responsible for creating that level of fear, that the, the level of irresponsible rhetoric. Look, it's one thing when you're a private citizen and your rhetoric is irresponsible and you're, you know, a, somebody with 83 followers on social media. It's another thing when you're the most powerful person on the planet and your rhetoric is irresponsible. So that's why I do hold him responsible for what happened and believed in that sense that he did tremendous damage, but I don't believe it's impeachable or that he ever intended to stir up violence against our elected officials or at the Capitol. So for those that care to know, that's my statement. I haven't written an article on it. I don't think I will. The first impeachment, I told folks, hey, I'm, I'm not going to be following this. I'm not going to get caught up with this. news day and night, day and night, day and the only thing to be reported. The same thing here. We're moving forward with other, other giants to tackle. 866-34-TRUTH-NOW. Every subject is wide open. Phones are wide open. Let's go to Chattanooga, Tennessee. Roy, thanks for calling the line of fire. Are you there? Hello, Roy. Did we lose you? Been holding the whole time. I, we'll, we'll give you one more chance just in case you are there. And if not, hey, we tried. <clears throat> okay. <laughs> How do I approach this? How do I approach this without getting stoned from all sides? Let, let's, let's try this. My greatest focus is on glorifying God and obeying God. That, that's my greatest focus. That's my heart. That's my desire. That, that's what I live for. Being a disciple, making disciples. Right? I'm not primarily a radio host. I'm not primarily an author. I'm not primarily a preacher or teacher or, or whatever. All right? I, I am, I'm not even primarily in that regard a husband or father or grandfather. I, I am first and foremost a child of God at his disposal. And, and my great focus, my great emphasis, my great concern is the advance of the gospel, is, is people coming to know God. That's, that's my great, great focus. For his people, those who know him, to glorify him. What does that mean? It means to bring him honor. It, it means to, to bring him fame, that people will know who he is. He is God, but in his mercy and compassion, he works through us. 
So that's what I burn for more than anything. Whether it's seeing my fellow Jews come to faith in Jesus the Messiah, whether it's the larger culture, uh, I want to see the church awakened, living as God called us to live, and I want to see people finding the Lord. Th- that's, that's number one. And I believe that's God's heart. In other words, my heart, I believe, reflects God's heart there. And if that's your heart as well, that reflects God's heart. That's why we're here. Again, our mission is to know God and to make him known. Our, our mission is to be disciples and make disciples. My primary mission is not to make America great or make America great again. My primary calling is not patriotism or, or saying the pledge to the flag, although I love my country and appreciate America. I was just interacting with a friend who works extensively in China, and he was telling me, boy, Chinese Christians really want to trump in. They felt it would be a whole lot better uh, internationally and, and, and for their own rights within China. I understand large issues. I, I know a strong America is important for the whole world, but I'm not a patriot first. I'm a follower of Jesus first. Uh, I am not promoting Americanism. I'm promoting the gospel. And, and therefore, everything I do is going to be seen through that lens. Everything in life is going to be seen through that lens. Even political leaders that come and go and that rise and fall, I'm ultimately going to see that through the lens of how can we use this to advance the gospel. And then I also know that as the church is healthy, America will be healthy. That as the gospel is thriving in our midst, it will bring blessing to America. If we follow biblical principles, we'll be blessed. Let's get things in the right order and priority. We'll be right back. It's The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. All right, let's uh, try to go back to the phones again. Uh, One more try, Roy in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Welcome to The Line of Fire. Hey, Dr. Brown, uh, I couldn't get you off speakerphone, and I still can't. That's why I got hung up a minute ago. Sir, I was very disappointed with your answer Monday. The first caller, not the caller, but the Twitter, talked about Copeland. Mm-hmm. You said you couldn't really comment on Copeland because you hadn't studied his ministry. Look, sir, you've been a Christian longer than me. I'm 73. I got saved when I was uh, 31. 42 years, you've been a Christian 48. You ought to know about Copeland. You know about the, 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 the little gods. Let me give you just two quotes. Quote, Copeland says, you don't have a God in you, you are one. But this is the most blasphemous quote. He says, do not be disturbed when people accuse you of thinking you're God. The more you get to be like me, the more you're going to think that way of you. They crucified me for claiming that I was God but I didn't claim I was God. I just claimed I walked with him and that he was in me. Hallelujah. That's what you're doing. Jesus never claimed to be, quote, the most high God. Now, sir, as long as you've been a Christian, how can you say that this Kenneth Copeland is not a false teacher, false prophet? I don't think the guy can even be considered a Christian, but I'm not his judge. Mm -hmm. So so what about when he renounced some of those comments and took them back. What, what do you say about that? Well, I didn't know that he'd renounced them. I'm ah, from book. Ah, okay, so Roy, so here's the whole deal. Here's the whole deal. You have to research, correct? 
You have to yep, research. I agree. Oh, okay. So God hasn't called me to research his ministry. I've commented on those things as being outrageous, blasphemous, wrong. I've commented on some of his past teaching about the atonement being absolutely heretical. I've said that blatantly, but then I've also been told that he renounced some of those things and took them back. And when I went to see his statement of faith online, it was an orthodox statement of faith. So because I haven't, look, I, I used to play quotes from Benny Hinn on the radio, the exact same stuff, little God's trash stuff. I didn't know that he'd renounced those. I didn't know that he'd repudiated them because I hadn't studied them. So I just try to be honest. That's, that's all. I have grave concerns with, with things that Copeland's taught. I have grave concerns with, with some of his exaggerated faith emphasis. And those kind of statements are, are heretical. You know, Jesus never saying he's the most high God. That, that's heretical. I completely reject that. However, I'd also read or saw references where he, he said he doesn't teach that anymore or he didn't convey things accurately and he believes in X, Y, Z. So unless you have the time to go and look, because as Christians were supposed to do that, I'm sure I could name 30 or 40 teachers here. I've never heard a sermon by Joyce Myers. I've never read a book by Joyce Myers. I don't know that I've seen three quotes by Joyce Myers, but she's really famous. So there's only so much time in a day to, to look into these things. So, I, sir, if those things are still being taught by Kenneth Copeland, then I 100% reject them as heretical and his position as heretical. Is that fair enough? Fair enough, and you know, I, I'm sure you saw the ha-ha-ha with the Trump thing. Yeah, it's completely uh, idiotic, real, shameful, idiotic, stupid, yes. brings reproach, and false prophecies about COVID. Absolutely, I, uh, it's, it's, been, it's been those things I've seen, and I'm ashamed that those things are being done in the name of Jesus, and terribly grievous, 100%. But just so you can understand... I, I would play clips from different people that I thought were extreme and that needed correction. And I, I talk about it on the air just like this. And then someone sent me something. Yeah, well, so-and-so, he stopped teaching that. And he put out an article about it. It's like, oh, I didn't know. And I thought, okay, I've got a platform here. I've got to be responsible. And because I haven't focused on his ministry and checking everything, I haven't, I, I haven't done that. You know, just because there are only so many things we can focus on. But to repeat... If those things are current, then I 100% reject them as heretical and say that he is teaching heresy. 100%. If those things are still currently held to in his viewpoint, I categorically reject them and say run from that teaching 100%. So that's... That's my homework assignment. I'll do it and get back with you in one month. Oh, sounds perfect. Please do. I, I welcome it. All right? I welcome it, my Thank brother. Thank you, Dr. Brown. All right, all right. You're okay with my, does my response satisfy you in terms of I'm not trying to dodge anything? Absolutely. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. All right. 866-34-TRUTH. And I'm so glad for that call because it's helpful to say that's, that's why I don't speak out on more. That, you know, what about this? What about that? You have to understand. I'm not criticizing Roy at all. I appreciate the call. But just so you know, we are sent stuff by the minute about what about this ministry, what about this one, what about this, what about this quote, what about this video? And we are not primarily a, a quote, discernment ministry, heresy hunting ministry, whatever you want to call it. I, I'm not the charismatic policeman. So I've written books like Playing With Holy Fire, where I address a lot of the issues in the body. And then Hyper Grace, you know, with quotes and names and specific things. Christian anti-Semitism, which just came out a few days ago, 
where we address a lot of junk being done with names and with details and with some in our evangelical camps, some charismatics. So I'm absolutely happy to do that, but I just have to have integrity before the Lord and be fair and righteous and honest before the Lord and not defame someone wrongly if, in fact, they changed their views. So that explains things, hopefully. Of course, it won't satisfy some, but I'm only trying to honor the Lord and be a blessing to you. Uh, let's go to uh, Yatha in Dallas, Texas. Welcome to the Line of Fire. Uh, how's it going? Doing well, thank you. Uh, you know vocab, don't you? Vocab Malone? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we've hung out a couple times, and I think I've been with him on a podcast or two, or he online. Yeah. Uh, did you know he came and visited our school here in Dallas, Texas? Well, great. What school is that? One Body in Yahawashah. Okay, no, you I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, we teach that we are the Israelites. And um, I would just be curious to you saying you know a lot about the Jews, but mm-hmm. do you know who the original Jews are and where are they now? You bet. I'm one of them. you one of them? Yeah, sure. And how would you prove that in the Bible? Well, what I'd prove it by is, is family ancestry and then DNA, and that's how I'd ultimately prove it. Uh, biblically, you have to realize that the, that the Israelites as, as Middle Eastern people would have been brown-skinned. We, we have a statement from the early 2nd century that contrasted the Israelites from the, the Ethiopians who were black and the Germans who were white and said that the Israelites were more like boxwood. So, you know, mi- Middle Eastern darker skinned people, so not, not like me as a white person, not like a black person, but, you know, brown skin. But there is also throughout Israelite history, you had, you had blacks who were, who were part of the, of the community or Africans who were part of the community, like, like Moses' wife and things like that. And then as the Israelites scattered around the world and found themselves in different parts of the world, in Africa and India and China and Europe, then as people converted to Judaism and joined in the communities, then you had more and more racial change. So you, you have white Jews like me and black Jews like some of my friends, and Indian Jews and Chinese Jews or Israelites, if you like, uh, because of that intermarriage. So that's why there's so, so many different colors. And, and yeah. So let me ask you this. Um, me being here in America and me reading Deuteronomy uh, 15 through 68, uh, applies to me if you are a true Jew you would be up under the curse right well only for disobedience but we have been scattered around the world I mean look look at what Jews have suffered under the Nazis look at what Jews have suffered and we've been expelled from country after country after country let me ask you this yeah why doesn't anyone speak about the atrocity that happened to the, the black Americans here in America and what's the difference, you say, six million, when I can tell you that almost 100 million of Native Americans, Black and Hispanic, have been persecuted? And when you go in and you're looking at the curses in Daniels 9 and 11, and it speaks of no matter where we would be, we would still be under the curse until the last days. But that's curses for disobedience, sir. Well, well first, whatever happened, there's no comparison both are unspeakably evil. I mean, you have two out of every three Jews in Europe slaughtered. You have the horrors of the African slave trade 
and, and, and all the millions that died in Middle Passage. You, you have the mistreatment of Native Americans. Those are all atrocities. Those are all terrible things. But that doesn't mean that, say, Native Americans or, or Israelites or Hispanics or Israelites or blacks or Israelites. In other words, that, that's, that's not the category. And the other thing is the end of Deuteronomy 28, if you refer to it. So, so the suffering's terrible. In other words, it's evil, it's terrible. But first, these are curses for disobedience. And, and I wouldn't think that's the major thing that we want to we, we focus on. But, but notice this, in Deuteronomy 28, 68, the Lord will take you back in ships to Egypt by a route that I said you'd never see again. There you will sell yourselves as male and female slaves, but no one will buy you. So that doesn't apply. You weren't trying to sell yourselves. No, and, that's, and that's, people that's, did buy them. Let me let me let me start. That's the NIV. The King James said you will be sold unto your enemies for bondman and bondwoman, and no one shall buy you which redeem you except the Christ. Yeah, yeah no, but that, that uh, so, does not here. Let me just say this with all respect. That's not what the Hebrew says. It has nothing to do with spiritual redemption. It has to do with with being bought and sold and sell yourselves. Is what the Hebrew says. You talk to any Hebrew scholar. They'll verify that. But, but, but here's, tell you what, we're out of time, but let's continue our dialogue. You're welcome to call again, and I'm very happy to continue the dialogue with you. And hopefully, ultimately, there's something we can agree on, which is redemption is found through the cross of Jesus. The Messiah. Remember, we're the real Jews now. We, we, we're watching. <laughs> hey, listen, man. May the Lord bring you into the truth. <laughs> 